0: Come to order if
1: members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good.
0: It's Capital Ideas for Thursday, February 13th. Almost Valentine's Day, but not quite. Capital Ideas is the podcast in which members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. We've got a return visitor today, Majority Floor Leader Monica Stonier, state representative from the 49th District in America's Vancouver. We're going to talk about what that position entails, and you'll hear about the representative's values, priorities, and sponsored legislation. This was recorded here in Olympia on Tuesday, February 11th, and this is The View from Here. Welcome back, Representative Monica Stonier to Capital Ideas. It's been far too long. The last time we talked, you had just returned to the legislature after having taken a couple of years off. Now, it's been a few years, and you are the majority floor leader in the State House of Representatives. And that's really what I'd like to talk about for the most part today, in addition to some of your legislative priorities, which we will get to. First of all, I know people hear legislative and congressional terms all the time. They hear Speaker of the House. They hear Majority Leader. They hear Floor Leader. They hear WHIP. And most people don't really know what that means because they've got lives to live. What does the Floor Leader in the Washington State House of Representatives do for the majority party?
1: Well, the floor leader has a number of responsibilities, but I would say primarily my job is to ensure that the priorities of our caucus and for the state come to the floor for a vote on the House side and additionally coordinate with the Senate to ensure that those priorities make it through the entire process to the governor's desk. On a more detailed level, that means that we're also keeping track on the floor of the priorities of the members of our caucus. We have to work very closely with the republicans across the aisle to kind of manage what the debate might look like so that we are sure to balance not only getting our work done but also the right that the minority has to have their voice and their argument made on the floor so we work very closely to try and not only manage time but just to also keep policy balanced as much as we can
0: on a day when there's going to be debate on the house floor you have an agenda of bills that are going to be coming out. You know generally the order in which they're going to be coming out. You know who on our side is going to be speaking in favor of these bills. Do you also have that kind of information from the minority side? Do you know who they expect to be standing up to give a speech on this or that bill?
1: Well, sometimes it's pretty predictable because these bills have been heard and discussed at the committee level in the past. So. You can imagine that those that would have opposition at the committee level would rise again on the floor. So some of it we kind of already see coming, but the minority floor leader has the a similar job to just kind of keep track of what the debate would look like and make a plan for who's going to speak. It's not always predicted, though. Sometimes people feel very strongly once they get out on the floor and continue um, debating longer than we anticipate that's going to happen, and we try to make space for that but also be a reminder that the more time we debate a bill that we already know the final outcome is going to be the fewer bills we can pass off the floor so it it has an impact on other policies as well.
0: That's something that I think people might not realize is that for the most part the speeches that are heard on the house floor are not actually meant to persuade other people on the house floor because most people already have their opinion about that bill beforehand. I guess they're talking to the news media or they're really talking to their constituents back at home.
1: That's probably true for the minority. In the majority, we know that what we're bringing to the floor we intend to pass and we have the votes to pass. But I will say that on the minority side, I've heard many times where people's opinions have been changed based on the debate on the floor because a point has been raised that they didn't know about. The minority actually doesn't have to have their votes counted before they come to the floor. So um, they might be more open to persuasion, actually, than we are in the majority. And so I think there's a little bit of room for that, but it doesn't necessarily change the outcome of the bill's passage. It might just change the vote count a little.
0: A minute ago, you talked about how sometimes there will be speakers who go on longer than you expected or that maybe some heat gets generated on the House floor. How do you deal with keeping discipline on the House floor? I know that the Speaker of the House Mm -hmm. is responsible to make sure that the decorum and the discipline is followed, but I see you talking quite a bit with your Republican counterpart. I know that that happens maybe sometimes when people aren't acting really with the decorum that is expected Mm -hmm. in the House of Representatives.
1: We have rules for decorum on the floor, and we try to stick to those pretty closely. At times where we are lenient with those rules, we try to communicate about why we are doing that so that everybody's on the same page of understanding. For example, we had a bill recently where there were a number of amendments and the House floor rules require that you make your comments to the content of the amendment, not the underlying bill. And we strayed from that a bit uh, in that floor debate, but we tried to communicate with the Republicans that we were giving them space to have the debate that they were hoping to have, but that if that was going to be called into question several times, we would go back to tightening it up closer to the rules as intended. So we try to provide flexibility if we feel that it adds to the debate, but the rules are in place to help keep things tight and to keep things moving. And again, if I'm in good communication with them so they know what to expect, and they have an opportunity to kind of weigh in on that, then I think we have a much more successful debate on the floor and ultimately people feel like they've done their part representing their districts.
0: Tempers flare out there, but generally in terms of just the respect that the two sides pay to one another, this is a far different place from Congress, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. I'm always reminding people how many of our bills, a high percentage of our bills go off the floor with bipartisan support and very collegial and respectful debate to the policy. It's not very often that we get to those contentious debates. Those just happen to be the ones that take up a lot of time. And my job is to remind people that their bill might be one that dies if we keep going and running out the clock and nobody likes to see that happen. So we're all motivated by doing good work.
0: There are only a certain amount of hours. That's right. There's gonna be a lot of long, long days and nights on the House floor. How do you prepare for that?
1: We had a meeting in the speaker's office this morning to kind of plan which days we think we'll be here late this over the next six days. And I prepare by ultimately trying to stay hydrated. Last night I got a lot of sleep because I knew today I would be spending time planning for the floor debate and then the next six days managing the floor debate. So I'm trying to make sure I get enough rest so that I'm patient and calm and motivated.
0: I think it should be established that the position of majority floor leader is not just something that you walked over and picked up. It is an elected position. You're a member of leadership in the House of Representatives. Did you have to actually campaign for this position?
1: I did. I worked for a period of time to talk with members of our caucus to determine what they thought were qualities in a floor leader that helped keep the floor moving smoothly, but also acknowledged the priorities that our different members of our caucus have in service to their constituents. And that's one thing that I've really taken very seriously. In fact, I have my little notebook right here. I've been going around to talk to our members to make sure that whatever their priorities are, I have on my floor plan for the next several days to ensure that they are successful, and I think that's one of the things that I try to spend a lot of time on. I think it's a a quality that folks had kind of suggested that we maintain. I think that's one of the things that I really try to spend a lot of time doing.
0: I know you also spend a lot of time being a representative from the 49th Legislative District. What kind of issues are you working on this session as your bills, as well as being a member of leadership? You also work for those 150,000 people down Mm -hmm. there in Vancouver in the 49th district.
1: I'm also an educator so I represent um, teachers across the state as well, educators across the state, and so I wear those hats sometimes concurrently and sometimes one at a time. Right now I'm working on uh, the priority bill this year is comprehensive sexual health education for students across the state. We have huge inequity in the access to good information that kids have across the states. We want to try and provide a sense of equity in terms of information kids have access to to help keep themselves safe, healthy, and happy in their lives. And I'm also working on a bill to help make sure that domestic workers who are working in very unique workplace environments, like in a person's home or isolated uh, from another, from their workplace, have the same protections and reporting opportunities if they are exposed repeatedly to harassment and abuse and um, I think that's something that is really important for some of the workers that don't have access to the same types of l protections and and other protections under the law. I'm working to do the same for long-term care workers and in addition to that I have a bill that helps encourage reimbursement rates for Medicaid rates to increase and that helps to increase access to medical services. And I'm also working to try and fund a work group that can look at best practices in school-based health clinics across the state so that schools that choose to enter into that type of partnership and contract have some guidance on what uh, best practice looks like in places where we've been very successful around the state.
0: And how are those bills going?
1: The work group uh, policy is going to be submitted as a budget proviso. So it's possible that that work can continue even if the bill does not pass.
0: Explain budget proviso. That's something that I think that only people on this campus know what that means. Yeah, so
1: a budget proviso is a budget item to fund an effort in the legislature but that does not require any policy change. So you don't have to actually ch- pass a bill to change anything in the law in order to put that work into play. And so, for example, we have contracts currently with school-based health centers. There are several around the state that have been operating very successfully for years, and there's not a policy change that's necessary to fund that, but in order to get the work group to look at the best practices, we would just need some money. And so we can write that direction in the budget and appropriate funds to do so.
0: There's been an issue that has to do with privacy and allowing public employees to have just a modicum of data privacy online. And this is something that you've been working on. And so tell me what is the latest on what I'm calling the birthday bill?
1: House Bill 1888 is a bill that protects state employees' birthdate information. At any point in time when a public request can be made and sensitive information that identifies individuals, uh, that makes them vulnerable to fraud, to um, easily being found when somebody may... One of the the stories that I hear a lot about are um, restraining orders or court protections that Uh, once somebody is easily identified um, or or more easily usurped. So I really think of this as a personal safety issue, um, and I just don't see why it's fair for public employees to have more of their information available to the public under those types of requests than any other Washingtonian, and so I really think of this as in in terms of parity.
0: And just to be clear, this is not trying to protect those birthdays because people don't want other people to know how old they right? are.
1: Right.
0: It's because that is an identifier.
1: It is an identifier. If you can easily find somebody's birth date and their address, you can much more easily find all the information that you would need in order to um, identify them, find them, or commit uh, a, ver- a variety of types of fraud and identity theft. So making our public employees more susceptible to that type of risk than anybody else in the state to me does not seem fair.
0: And how's that bill going?
1: That bill is a challenging bill, but we are continuing to work on it, and the more that we communicate to our constituents and to our colleagues that this is a personal safety bill, I think the more the ice kind of breaks off of it, and I'm starting to see some progress this morning actually. That gives me hope that we'll soon be able to take up debate on the floor on House Bill 1888.
0: And today on February the 11th there are about eight more days left before basically everything has to go over to the Senate, the Senate stuff has to come over to the House, and so things that don't really get to the first finish line, you know they probably aren't going to get to the finish line period. Correct. After all this maelstrom of activity in the next several days wraps up. Everybody takes a breather for a day or so, but then the Senate bills have come over here and everything starts all over again. How is managing the floor in that kind of compressed time frame different than what you're doing right now?
1: Well, there's definitely more of a sense of urgency in the first part of session because the volume is much greater and we're trying to get things out of the house of origin. But once we get to the second stage when we're taking up policies from the opposite house, It gets a little bit more emotional and a sense of urgency kicks in because while the scope of policies is narrowed, the intensity around those increases. So it will be the time when House members and Senate members are um, hustling back and forth across the rotunda to check in with each other and to check on the progress and find out what each other's intent might be with bills that we all care about so it becomes a time where bipartisan collaboration in the house is early on and then bicameral coordination between the house and the senate is important in the second part of session
0: and i know that many people may think well the senate has got a democratic majority the house has got a democratic majority so obviously they're just going to vote for all of the bills that come over and everybody (laughs) will go home holding hands but the fact is, that's not necessarily correct, is it?
1: It is not correct. So, I mean, the takeaway here is truly just that we are all individuals, and we all have our own ideas and, and preferred strategies, and just because we might be aligned politically does not mean we are aligned with our approaches. So, there's, there's definitely conflict, um, but at least, you know, in the majority, we feel that we're working on um, things that are going to benefit the state.
0: And one final thing before we wrap up here, I just want to point out that you are the majority floor leader. The Speaker of the House is a woman for the first time. Uh, Leadership is at least at parity with women, if not actually a majority of women. The caucus itself has a majority of women in it. This is a really historic time.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel that we are really Uh, representing our state well, and that the shift in perhaps some of the policy discussions, because women are a part of those discussions, is reflected in in what we're going to be able to deliver for the people of Washington this year. And I'm not alone. I think our state is proud of us as well.
0: Well, I'm proud to talk to you. I always am, Monica. I know you've got stuff going on today. So thank you for coming back to Capital Ideas. Majority House Floor Leader, Monica Stonier. Thank you, Dan. Well, that was too short, but I hope you liked it. If you did, you can subscribe to Capital Ideas at housedemocrats.wa.gov or at any of the podcast sites out there on the web. This is your state government, and what happens here matters. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you, for your family, for your business, and for all of us who are fortunate enough to call ourselves Washingtonians. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.